Well, if you're new here, let me just kind of give you the lay of the land for a moment. For the last five weeks, we have been making our way uh, kind of through our CCF vision and values. So we've kind of hit the pause button on the Gospel of Luke, making our way through that like we normally would, and we'll get back to that here in a couple of weeks. But we're trying to identify and remind one another about the values that we hold dear as a church. And these are not values that are unique to CCF. They're not proprietary. These are things that all faithful gospel churches should have essentially in common. So we just want to identify those and be reminded that this is kind of what we gather around. This is what's significant to this local church family. So we've looked at things like God exalting. We've looked at things like gospel living. And last week we talked about biblical preaching and teaching. And this morning we're going to look at our fifth value, which is generous giving. Generous giving. Now let me ask you a question. When you hear the words generous giving, think for a moment the first thing that pops into your mind? My guess would be it's probably money. Okay, this is going to be a sermon about money because maybe the church is wanting to build and they're going to share that this afternoon in the member meeting or maybe there's some great need that we're supposed to give to or maybe we're behind on our finances. And so, you know, when the pastor preaches on money, it must mean that there's a significant need. Well, this morning's message is not primarily about money. In fact, money plays into it, but money is only just a very small part of it. And even the money part of that is not because we're planning to build some great building or because we're behind in our budget or because of anything else, other than God has called us, who are his children, to be faithful, to be wise stewards of what he's given to us, which includes generosity and generous giving. And so when we talk about generous giving, we're talking about more than just money. And I think this is a helpful statement that our elders put together a few years back that helps to identify what we mean when we talk about generous giving. It'll be on the screen. How we steward our time, treasure, and talents demonstrates that we own nothing, but that everything belongs to God. We hold the things of this world loosely as we look forward to those things which endure forever. We intentionally seek to develop pastors and to plant and revitalize churches and to equip disciples who will be sent out from our local church. We're committed to missions both locally and around the world. So this is just a snapshot of what we mean when we talk about generous giving. We hold the things that the Lord has entrusted to our care loosely. And we want to be a part of of giving away what we have of our time and our talent and our treasure to the work of the Lord, both here and around the world. And with all of these values we've been looking at each week, there's lots of different places in the Bible we could go. And uh, each one of them would help kind of fill in the picture of what we mean But this morning, we're going to find ourselves primarily here in Acts chapter 12 and 13. So what I want to do is I want to set up the text, and then we're going to kind of work our way through the text. So let me just set up the text like this. Jesus has already died, and he's already been risen from the dead. And in chapter 
1, verse 8 of the book of Acts, Jesus gathers his followers together and he tells them that they are about to receive power from God's Holy Spirit. And this power will be important as they seek to not only live the lives that God is calling them to live, but as they seek to be about the work that he has for them to do. And then in Acts chapter 2, the very next chapter, the Holy Spirit does come. God the Father and God the Son send God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within all who turn from their unbelief to trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And by the end of chapter 2, we see all of these newly spirit-empowered men and women, young and old, gathered together, and they're devoting themselves to gospel teaching and to prayer and to meeting together and to radical generosity. And chapter 2, verse 47 says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And in fact, from then on, throughout the book of Acts, the Lord continues to add to that number day by day those who are being saved. If we skip ahead, in fact, to Acts chapter 9, there we meet a man named Saul who was a religious uh, terrorist of sorts, like hunted down Christians and sought to put them to death. And yet, in Acts chapter 9, God gloriously appears to Saul as he's actually on his way to go find more Christians to put them to death. The Lord appears to him, transforms his heart, opens his eyes, causes him to see the risen Christ, and changes his life forever. And Saul becomes a Christian by God's amazing grace. And then in chapter 10... God makes it clear that this message, this going out, this adding to the church, this radical generosity of living that Christians are called to be a part of, that this is not just for the Jews. And in Acts chapter 10, God makes that clear once again, this time to Peter, that the gospel message and the work of the church and membership in the church of Jesus Christ is not just for Jews, which is really great news if you're not a Jew. I'm not a Jew. You're probably, most of you are not Jews at least. And this brings us now to the end of Acts chapter 12, where we see once again God growing his church. But notice how Luke describes the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. God's word says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. The word of God increased and multiplied. The people of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, is so deeply connected to the word of God, scripture, the truth about God and the truths of God and the, the message of God spoken to us through his word. Those things are so closely related that the Holy Spirit would lead Luke as he's writing to describe the growth of the church as the increase of the word of God. That's significant, and it's significant in reminding us, even as we saw last week in our time together, the very thing that we gather around as the people of God is the worship of our triune God, which is most clearly communicated to us through the holy scriptures of our God. Now, as chapter 13 opens, we zoom in on one particular church. So it's almost like in chapter 12, verse 24, 
we find out that the word of God is increasing. And then in chapter 13, we get to kind of peek behind the curtain and see one of many examples of how the word of God is increasing in a local church. And I want to read that one more time for us. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now we're going to get a list of some of them. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. If you're taking notes this morning, there are three things I think it's important for us to note in our text this morning. First, notice the readiness of the church in Antioch. This was a ready church. Now, the church in Antioch is about to be used. In fact, we see here in these verses in chapter 13, they are about to be used by God to launch the ministry of two of the greatest missionaries ever to serve the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, Paul and Barnabas don't go from couch to missionary all at once. In fact, they're already connected to a local church. They're already engaged in the work of the ministry of their home church. This is such a great reminder. Lest we just want to sit on the sidelines of the work of the local church and think, I'm just going to wait for some sort of kind of lightning strike or some writing on the wall or some dramatic work of the Holy Spirit to show me where to get involved, to tell me what to do, to lead me to some great... Uh, work of the Lord either here or as a missionary around the world. I think this is a great reminder that our service to the Lord always begins with faithfulness to the local church. They're serving where there are needs in the local church. In fact, as many of you will likely do short-term, and we pray even many of you, long-term mission trips Give your lives to the work of the gospel around the world. When you meet with Pastor Taylor or you meet with the Bowmans or you meet with others on the mission team, one of the first things they're going to ask you about is how are you serving your local church right now? Where are you involved? Where are you stewarding your gifts? Where are you you're stepping in where there are needs? And we see Barnabas and Saul are already engaged in the work of their home church. And that we also see that their home church was a faithful church. In fact, I think there's a few signs, a couple of signs at least, of faithfulness right here in these very first verses of chapter 13. Notice, this is a well-led church. Verse 1, we have this list of men who are prophets and teachers in the church. When you hear the word prophets, don't let that kind of throw you off. Prophets here, as in the Old Testament, would have been those who convey the word of God in terms of warnings or sometimes instruction or critique or encouragement. They're ones who speak the word of God. And these men, this list of men, they're functioning essentially as elders in the Antioch church. And there's more than one. There's a plurality of them, as Acts 14 and Titus 1 show us is healthy in a local church. I think all of this is a sign that that discipleship has taken place. Like if you were to go back and read the history of the Antioch church earlier on in the book of Acts, you would find out that the Antioch church is not all that old by now. 
Like they've not been around forever and ever. And the charter members of the Antioch church don't have gray hair yet. And yet, already, there are several men who have matured to the place of leading the church in the, in the heralding, in the explanation, and the exaltation of the word of God. That's one sign, I think, of their faithfulness and their readiness. There's another sign here, and it's that they are a worshiping church. I think it's fascinating that Luke does not say that the Holy Spirit suddenly appeared and said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I have for them. But the Holy Spirit, who's inspiring Luke as he writes, wants to make it clear to us that all of this is happening in the midst of a worship service. In the midst of a church that's already regularly gathering for worship, regularly praying, regularly, regularly about fasting and the things that the Lord would have them to do. The Antioch church is a worshiping church. They're a fasting church. You might wonder, well, what are they fasting about and fasting for? Well, church history would, would seem to make it clear that by this time already, the church did not observe, by and large, the regular Jewish fasts of the Old Covenant. So these are not ceremonial fasts that sometimes we read about in the Old Testament, Rather, it seems clear that this church in Antioch sent some sort of particular need that required special focus and attention. We're not told what this specific need is, but given what the Holy Spirit does in in verses 2 and 3, it seems likely that what they're fasting about, what they're praying about, is the need of the gospel that exists outside Antioch that exists around Asia Minor, they recognize there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of lostness. Perhaps they're, they're fasting and praying that the Lord would, would raise up men and women to go out and to be a part of his gospel work. This brings us to our second main point this morning. Our first was the readiness of the Antioch church. Secondly, notice the call of God to the Antioch church. I love this. While, verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Set apart for me. Now, we're not told how this Holy Spirit's voice was known. Remember, this is before the completion of what we call the New Testament. So the church in Antioch doesn't have the complete New Testament like we do. But however the Holy Spirit communicated, it was clear to the church in Antioch that this was the the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the important things to note here is that this does not come in a vacuum. Like this message of the Holy Spirit to set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work of of evangelism and church planting and missionary work doesn't happen as Barnabas is having his quiet time down down by the lake in the morning or as Paul's out in the woods taking his prayer walk. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen alone. Not that it couldn't have necessarily happened that other way. But scripture is clear that the way the Holy Spirit worked was in conjunction or in collaboration with the local church. The Holy Spirit made it clear to the church 
so that the men and the women who were a part of the church in Antioch understood and recognized not only that this was the leading of the Holy Spirit, but that this was faithful and that this was good. You could imagine some of them in the church maybe having conversations among themselves after their, their worship gatherings. Yeah, I'm sensing the Holy Spirit is, is leading these two brothers out as well. And you know what? They have been faithful brothers. And she have the church affirming, yes, this is good and this is the work of God. Now keep in mind what this must have been like for the church in Antioch. I mean, even if they were praying and even if they were fasting under the burden that the gospel go out to the rest of Asia Minor, these are two of the most well-known and likely most experienced church leaders that they had. These were the, the, the church leaders that, according to Acts chapter 11, verse 22, the Lord had brought to help the church, specifically Barnabas. In Acts eleven twenty two, Barnabas comes to Antioch. In fact, he's sent to Antioch to aid this church in their early days, in their fledgling days. This is either some sort of revitalization or it's some sort of early days of a church plant. But Barnabas goes, and then the Lord uses Barnabas in a, in a dramatic way. And so you can imagine that some in the church who had been used to Barnabas and had been used to Saul and had come to trust them and depend on them and lean on them for, for their spiritual shepherding, you can imagine some of them are like, okay, Lord, all right, like we get that there's a need, but really Barnabas and Saul, I mean, how about Menaean? How about Simeon, Right? Can we send maybe a couple of the, uh, the leaders, the elders that we don't lean on so much? I mean, these, these are kind of a, we need these guys. Yet we don't have any evidence that that was their attitude. In fact, quite the opposite. Which brings us to our third main point this morning. The obedience of the Antioch church. Verse 13, there. There's no hesitation. There's no questioning. Verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The church is a faithful church. They're worshiping the Lord. They're fasting. They seem to perhaps have a, a real burden for the lostness around them. And God comes and God calls to the Antioch church set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, to the work that I have called them. And we see the obedience of the church to respond to that call. Four things I think the Antioch church does in response that we have here in verse 3. First, notice they call for another time of fasting. So they're already worshiping the Lord and fasting. Then they call for another time of fasting. Perhaps this was a call for the church to fast so that they might might ascertain, is this really of the Lord? Or perhaps it's so that they might fast and pray for the work that they're about to send Barnabas and Saul out to do. We're not told why, but we are told that they call for a time of fasting, which is a time of setting aside usually food, but perhaps sometimes some other distractions so that we might focus for a time singularly on a specific need, so that we might pray. So we might get on our knees, so we might plead with the Lord to act or to work. 
John Calvin wrote, whenever men are to pray to God concerning any great matter, it would be expedient to appoint fasting along with prayer. For since this is a holy exercise both for the humbling of men and for the confession of humility, why should we use it less than the ancients did in similar need? There have been times in our church when we have called for a time of fasting. Whether it's when we're seeking directional wisdom on what we should do, whether it's seeking a location, whether it's seeking, uh, asking God to, to, to minister in the midst of a physical need of one of our members. And likely in these days and weeks ahead, as we prepare and plan more for planting or revitalizing again very soon, you'll likely probably hear from the elders another call to, to spend some time in prayer and fasting. Second, second thing that they did here in verse 3 is notice they pray. It's likely that they pray for wisdom, for confirmation maybe. It's likely that they pray for guidance and courage and the protection for Barnabas and Saul. Remember, this is a time period when Christians are being hunted down and killed for their faith. The call to global evangelism was then and is still now a call to let go of our grip on our own safety and our own prosperity for the eternal good of those who desperately need Christ. And this is what they do. They, they fast and then they pray. And the, the picture we have here is of, of the church doing these things. Not just the friends who are closest to Barnabas and Saul. Not just a few in the church saying, hey, that's great, Barnabas and Saul. We'll be praying for you. The church stopping and saying, no, we have a, we have a responsibility here to not only affirm this call through the Holy Spirit, but we have a responsibility to help prepare the way to till the soil of the ministry that will be done by these two brothers somewhere out there. And the way we till the soil is by our praying and by our fasting again and again and again and again. Third, notice they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul. So they call for fasting, they pray, and then they lay their hands on Barnabas and Saul. It's probably as they prayed for them. This was a way of asking for God's presence and blessing on these brothers. It was a way of affirming their support, the work that these brothers are called to do, much the same as we do now when we gather around our brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe someone who has a physical need, and we lay hands on them and ask God to bless and ask God to work, or we lay hands on new elders when we ordain them and we gather around and we lay hands and we say, yes, we, we believe that this is of the Lord and this is good and we stand with you and behind you. There's no special power in the laying on of hands. There's no sort of mystical significance to that, but it's a, it's a physical way of demonstrating the posture of our minds and our hearts. To say, we want to support, we want to care, we want to love, we want to stand with. It's also interesting in terms of laying on of hands that really from the first century 
onward, we see evidence in church history that when the church gathered and met together before they, they left, before the service was over and everyone walked out, the pastor would traditionally walk among the rows or greet everyone who was there when they left and laying his hands on their shoulders and praying for them and, and praying a blessing over them or quoting a blessing from scripture over them. And so this morning, before you leave, we're going to ask you to all line up. (laughs) We won't be done by the time the member meeting happens. We also see from church history that when churches grew in size, the practice began to change to pastors at the end of the service raising their hands to the congregation, the congregation bowing their heads to receive a benediction from Scripture as a prayer of blessing or a scripture of blessing is read over the people of God, asking God to bless his people as they depart. The message here is clear. The church did not call these men, God did, but the church affirmed and confirmed and supported and backed that call. They were all in it together. Then notice, they not only fasted and prayed and laid their hands on, but then they also sent them off. Again, verse 3, and they, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. In obedience to the Holy Spirit, with this right understanding of the church's mission, they sent them out. Derek Thomas writes, the church of Christ is never meant to be idle, luxuriating in its achievements, basking in the glow of blessings already attained. The gospel is not meant to be preserved like the crown jewels of the British monarchy in the Tower of London, locked away in some ecclesiastical archive for safekeeping. No. The gospel is to be spread to the ends of the earth. And this is in keeping with the great commission that the church would give generously of her time and her members and her money and her resources so that the gospel might go out to Centerville, to Dayton, to Ohio, to the U.S., and around the globe. In fact, this is the very virtue that Paul would later praise in 2 Corinthians 8, where he celebrates not only the generosity of the church in Corinth, he thanks them for their generosity, but he also celebrates the generosity of the church in sending Titus out. The point of all of this is this. If you want to boil this down this morning, a faithful church is a generous church. A faithful church is a generous church. Like We have been given so much, spiritually, materially, relationally, and everything we have received comes from God and through God and is for God. Romans 11.36 reminds us, for from him and through him and to him, to him are all things. Which means everything we have comes from him, comes through him, and goes back to him. So we give. Let's get a little more specific here this morning. Now let's think about some ways. I'm going to dial this down a little bit. What are some specific ways that God has given gifts to CCF? Or what are, maybe to put it another way, some specific gifts that God has given to us that we are called to give to the glory of his name? Well, we could start with the gospel itself, 
Clearly, God has given to us the gospel, which is the good news that although there is a holy, perfect creator God in heaven whom we have sinned against, all of us, and rightly deserve punishment and wrath for our rebellion against the God who created all things, God in love has provided salvation for all who turn from our sin to trust in his son who is our salvation, who took our place by dying on the cross for our sin, the punishment we rightly deserve because of our rebellion. Jesus comes, Jesus takes it, Jesus dies, and then Jesus rises again from the dead, defeating sin and defeating death so that all who trust in Jesus as our only means of salvation might not only have our sins forgiven and might not only have a place in heaven awaiting us one day with the Lord for all eternity, but might be made sons and daughters of the most high God, united to Jesus Christ, given the gift of God's Holy Spirit. And we are called to steward that gift, to speak that gift and share that gift and talk about that gift and write about that gift and live in light of that gift. We could also think about the way God has entrusted the local church with spiritual gifts, abilities, talents, resources that he's given every single one of his children so that his work might be done and his church built up and edified and encouraged, believers helped, and a a lost world would see the light of the gospel, right? Like every time a new member comes into our church, and this afternoon we're going to have the opportunity, if you're a member, to like formally affirm and welcome in a whole bunch of new members. And every time we do that, we not only celebrate, all right, here are more folks to get to know and to love, but here are also more people who come bearing talents that the Lord has given to them for the use of his gospel kingdom to be used in the church, to be used in our community and around the world for for his kingdom's sake. We could think about the gospel, we could think about spiritual gifts, we could think about even just the various ages represented in our church. From the very youngest two-week-old in the nursery this morning, all the way up to the most senior saint among us, each one having something to give and contribute and offer to help us all to grow in Christ-likeness and to find greater and greater joy in satisfaction in Jesus alone. Those are various things that the Lord has given to CCF. But I want to kind of get even more specific. I want to get a little bit more kind of right to maybe some some uniquenesses to CCF, not meaning that no other church has this, but some specific ways that the Lord has blessed CCF we are called to be generous givers of. So five gifts we have received and should give generously of. First, is love and health and unity. Now you might be thinking, well, that's three things. <laughs> and you would be wrong, just one. <laughs> My way of sneaking three into one, right? which is a biblical concept. Three into one. <laughs> what I'm trying to capture there is that the Lord has uniquely blessed our church by giving us a remarkable love for one another and a sadly uncommon health 
not sadly that we have health, but sadly that that's not more common. And a unity with one another. Like CCF is not a perfect church. However, you all, let me just say, on behalf of our elders and our leaders, you all are such a blessing. Like over the years, and even living through like all the COVID stuff and everything after that, and just all kinds of things. If you're, if you're on Twitter at all, which I don't recommend, you're just like the evangelical world is, is blowing apart by people losing their minds in all different kinds of directions and dividing over all kinds of things. And yet, by the grace of God, like, there seems to be the blessing of the Lord in, in, in a unity and a love and a grace with one another. Like, it's rare to have criticisms and complaints, at least that I hear our elders here. Like, there's such a generosity and such a, a, a like-mindedness, like, we're going we're gonna to define ourselves by this. We're going to unite around this. And the other things that are temptations to pull us apart in other ways, we're going to rightly submit those down the line down here underneath the authority of Scripture. We're going to unite in that. And, and on behalf of the elders, I just want to say thank you. What a blessing you are to us. What a joy it is to serve in a church where, where members love one another and care for one another and and, and can agree to disagree on tertiary, third-tier issues because we're, we're united on what's most important. And so we are called then to steward that, which means we're called to give generously even of that. Well, how do we do that? I think one of the ways we do that is by seeking to plant more love-filled and healthy and united churches both in this community and around the world. Like we're called to do that. We're called to, to be a part of sending out to plant gospel outposts, even in Dayton where there's no healthy church maybe right now. And by healthy gospel outposts, I don't just mean places that preach and teach Christ, but places that demonstrate Christ by their love and their compassion and their repentance and their forgiveness and their unity with one another. A second gift that we have received and are to give generously of is transient membership. And I'll be brief on this because I know this has come up in the last few weeks. This is a theme and this is going to come up again in the member meeting this afternoon as we try to lay out more details for you about church planting. Uh, you might be thinking, well, how in the world is a transient membership a gift from the Lord? Meaning lots of people coming in and then going out for job or military or whatever. And it's not a blessing if we think that the mission of the local church is to get bigger and bigger. Like CCF's mission is just to get bigger. Then, then it wouldn't be a blessing. But it is a blessing because as you've often heard, we believe the kingdom of God is better served by more healthy churches than by a larger CCF. This doesn't mean we discourage people from coming to CCF and share this in the first service. I'll share it again. Like, please, I hope you are not telling your neighbors and your unchurched coworkers, like, well, you can't come to my church because we believe in more healthy churches, not a larger CCF. And if you came, it'd be larger. So we don't want you to come here. Go somewhere else. Please, please, please don't do that. What we mean by that is, yes, welcome, come. 
But as you come, we want to be incredibly intentional about discipleship and counseling and equipping and relationships and biblical growth so that as you are here, whether whether you graduate and you go somewhere else, or the Air Force takes you somewhere else, or your job takes you somewhere else, or family takes you somewhere else, or you have every reason to stay here, but the Holy Spirit says to you and to those around you and to others in your sphere that you are to go out and to be a part of a church plant or a church revitalization or to go help a struggling church that already exists right now in our community, you'll be better equipped and more supported and more encouraged and in a better place to go do that. So our goal is not to have you come in and folks come in and then we have a big back door and people just kind of like vanish out the back door. No, our goal is is we would come in and as members and we're equipped and we're trained and we're helped and we're encouraged and then we're going to pray and believe that the Lord would just keep calling people out of our church to go out wherever it is to be a a healthier church member, to be a better gospel witness, to be more equipped for the work that God has called us to do. Third gift that we have received is lots of children. What an incredible gift. We have a lot of children. Every week, Marie and Kate do a masterful job under Pastor Nick's leadership of moving kids around and classrooms around. I want to say a couple of things to that. First, we should thank them. Make sure you thank them when you see them for all the hard work. And if you're a teacher in Kidman, thank you for that. I'm sure there are weeks you go home and you're wondering, like, aside from Play-Doh being stuck in some kid's hair, I don't know that anything of memorability will be accomplished this morning. And yet, if you grew up in the church, as I grew up in the church, I still remember the names and the faces and some of the things and some of the lessons. The sweet little old ladies and middle-aged men and all kinds of people taught me over the years when I'm sure I was, did not seem like I was listening The second thing to that I want to say is thank you, church family, for being faithful to love our kids well. Thank you for being flexible when you go back to the kid men and check your kids in and find out, oh, they're not here anymore. They're now down in here. Just when you got them used to finally and pumped up to finally go to this particular room and now you have to change because we're trying to just make sure we can fit everybody in. Thank you for being flexible. Thank you for loving children and young people and teenagers well. Thank you. Thank you for supporting them. You know, I hear sometimes horror stories of churches where there are comments made about kids who are being noisy in services or kids who maybe are running in the hallways. Nasty comments. I'm grateful. Like the statement on our website is real. We, we truly believe and welcome children in, even when maybe they're, they're crying at times or they're whispering a little too loud during the sermon or they're being too noisy with their snack. Like we as a church should smile. We should, we should recognize that children are a heritage from the Lord. This is an amazing gift. Amen. Praise the Lord for our children and our teenagers and our young people. So being generous givers of our children means, I think, giving generously of our time to help teach them and disciple them. Giving of our time, whether it's formally, 
stepping into a classroom, volunteering. I'll help serve. I'll be a hall monitor. I'll help serve and teach or be an assistant in a classroom or in a nursery or I'll help in, in a variety of different ways. There are always needs. Our Kidman team would love to talk to you about ways that they, you could get plugged in. But it could also look informal as well as you see the kids in the hallway and teenagers in the hallway. Go up and talk to them. Introduce yourself to them. Hear their story. Share your story with them. Share your testimony with them. As a young man, my, my life was so shaped by a couple of older men in the church. And I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Had a lot of energy and not a lot of focus, especially on Sundays at church. It was just shaped by some older men who just shared their story with me and befriended me and talked to me and was touched by their testimony. I remember them to this day. You can have that impact. Fourth, fourth way we have been blessed and are called to give up generously. I'm going to speed up a little bit because our time is short. Fourth, young men preparing for pastoral ministry. For whatever reason, the Lord has chosen to uniquely bless our church with a relatively high number of young men who are preparing for pastoral ministry. We don't have an exact number. I would love to have that. We're trying to figure that out this semester. So if you are studying for pastoral ministry, if you have a desire for pastoral ministry, um, would you do me the favor of emailing me this afternoon or sometime this week? My email's on the website. Just shoot me an email. Let me know your name, kind of what you're studying. We would we'd love to kind of collect you. And we have something coming up in November that we're really excited about. We want to offer a meal to you. We want to do some things with you. We want to be more intentional about trying to invest in you and not just say, well, we have an internship. We want to try to be really, really intentional. And so if you could do that, that would be great. But as best we can estimate, we have at least a couple of dozen young men who are here every single week who within the next zero to five years will be pastoring somewhere around the world. So we're, we're never going to plant two or three or four churches a year, I don't think. I mean, if we are, I'm, I'm going to go white-headed. But, and maybe that's in the providence of God, praise the Lord, right? But you think about the impact we can have as a local church just to encourage, breathe encouragement on to these young men who are preparing to go out, to build friendships with them. Just in the last three months, we have had two young men take pastoral roles who are serving here and are now pastoring in the pastoral ministry in churches in Indiana, two different churches that are now being touched by men whose lives have been somehow imprinted and impacted by CCF. So what does it look like to come behind these guys and equip and to give generously? Well, I think it means several things. I think, I think it means helping to fund our internship through our giving dollars. I am grateful that every year when when the, the budget rolls out in January and you all take a look at it, um, I won't even say seldom has heard a discouraging word. I would say I have never heard a discouraging word about why are, we, why are we giving X amount of dollars to help fund an internship program. And when interns serve in the church and teach and lead and preach and do things and teach your Sunday school class and maybe are a little greener than what you're normally used to in your Sunday school class or in your small group, I am so grateful for the way you encourage and you smile and you give words of affirmation and you come alongside. That's an important ministry. 
It's an important way we can be generous givers with what the Lord has blessed us with. Finally, and I was going to say and lastly, but I guess that's the same thing, right? Finally and lastly. <laughs> we have financially blessed households. The reality is here at CCF, we have, some of you here are struggling financially. And because so many of you here at CCF give generously, we are able, as, as elders and leaders and deacons in the church, we're able to, to minister to all kinds of different needs, not just sending missionaries out and supporting missionaries, and not just purchasing material resources for discipleship, but because you give generously, we're able to meet all kinds of different needs as a local church. Because you're faithful. The Lord has provided for our needs, and for many of us, he's provided for so many of our desires, which means I think we're called to think carefully about our financial and our material blessings. To give back to the work of the Lord, whether that's in the offering boxes in the back or online, to be a part of, of taking what the Lord has given to us materially and give it back to others. One of our elders a couple of years ago once said this, and I've thought about it ever since. He said, is our comfort ever threatened by the way we give? Do we know the difference between giving and sacrificial giving? And as a church, I pray that we would continue to be a place that gives sacrificially and more and more so. Not so that we can build another building or we can do this or we can do that, but so that we can be a part of, of serving and loving this body well and we can be a part of generous giving to a community and a world that desperately needs Jesus Christ. Like at the end of the day, the Lord's plan for evangelism of the world is through the work of the local church. This is why we, we want to see more healthy churches. We want to see more healthy Christians who are connected to healthy local churches so the kingdom message of Jesus Christ would go out. Now, Matt's going to come and some of the band, and we're going to close with a song that I think communicates the why, because you might be asking, okay, like, what's the why behind all of this? Is it just so that we can do this? Is it just because we've received, so we're called to receive? Well, that's part of it. But ultimately, it's because we've caught a glimpse of how great and glorious God is. And we have been reminded that we, apart from Christ, deserve nothing but an eternity of judgment. And so, as we have caught a glimpse of, of who Christ is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and if we have experienced his grace and his forgiveness and his love, we now have an opportunity to live a generous life of our time, our talent, our treasure. We can be generous with those things. And in our generosity, we actually worship. Like our giving becomes an act of worship because we are giving in light of the reality of who God is. So I want you to stand, if you would, with me. And we're going to close with this song. Unto the Lamb who sits on the throne be glory and honor and praise. Psalm begins with beholding your goodness is all that we long for. So we behold the face of God and then we live radical, generous lives of faithful service and worship to him. Father God, we thank you this morning for your word.
pray that you would cause us to delight more and more, to see you for who you are as we study your word and as we read and as we serve. As we see you more, that we would delight in that, enjoy you more, want you more, and that that might lead us to live lives of radical generosity in all sorts of different ways so that you would be praised and your work would be done on he, in, in this world as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.